Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 93, Home Lab Firewalls. But we will be uh, talking, and because we like taking and hearing the feedback from you. Um, I think we only have one feedback question we'll be answering in the beginning here, but it's some, some of the format we want to do to help encourage feedback. We will. Uh, re it's a really simple but very common question, and it's, there's a reason we haven't done an episode on it, right, Jay? <laughs> yeah, there, there's more than a few, yeah. There's, yeah. Um, <laughs> But today we're going to be debating about firewalls, uh, talking about some choices. This comes on the heels of me having a video about firewall comparison. And I wanted to narrow it down for home lab so we can change the scope because I did a broader scope video. Hey, that video is linked down below. But let's narrow in scope some of your home lab discussion around firewalls. Uh, and we're we'll talking about a couple of things that uh, are up and coming as well in this episode because uh, I, I got another video I'm going to release, but it's something that the home lab people might be interested in. Before we dive into that, let's thank our sponsor, and that is. Is Akamai. They have been a sponsor since they were Linode. <laughs> That's how I yep. should start reading that. <laughs> <laughs> they've been sponsored since they're Linode. They've changed names, but they've kept on track. Matter of fact, I actually just did uh, a, a video with them. They're still moving forward. They're very um, dedicated to the community. That's actually something we've been optimistic about, and uh, they've held true to it. So we thank them for being a sponsor. They're a great place to host things still. They actually have more features than they had when they first started. They, because you get some of that back-end CDN features that came when the Akamai and Linode merger happened or acquisition. So they are awesome for running things you don't necessarily want to run in your home lab or some of those things that you kind of need running in the cloud and not necessarily in your system. We have an yep. offer code down below to get started with them, and we thank them for being a sponsor of the show. Yep. All right. Now, the question comes up persistently, both in the live chat and in the questions of people looking for the alternative, as if we're holding back a secret from you. Um, there are tools out there for doing this, but none of them are great. And that is, how do you do user management? User management pretty much in a business world is going to be fully all in on Active Directory. There's very few exceptions to this. There are services like Okta and you know people getting things like uh, even us, we're using Google Authenticator with OAuth for some things. So there's, uh, or Google, what are, they, what are they calling it today? Google G Suite, Google Workspace, whatever Google's it, calling it this week. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is this week. I think There's it was Google Workspace it. last week, but this week I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, we just know that because they make money with it, those are the ones they don't kill. So it's a Google service, but managing users is tricky. Um, pretty much once you get into the enterprise though, for compatibility reasons, it's all in on AD. I think people always wonder why there's not just a Linux equivalent and it's there's a lack of drive for it because when you build, and SJ would always like to point out, Ansible is a great way to manage your service accounts and things like that inside your massive amount of configured Linux servers, which means you're not going to be dealing as much with user management, you're thinking from a service account standpoint and having auto accounts created Ansible. So uh, LDAP and things like that exist. They're just not popular or is deeply integrated for uh, user management. And by the way, Linux has bowed down to having compatibility. I, I can't remember if you did a video on this, Jay, or not, but about how you can tie Ubuntu to Active Directory. I that, that that's on my list. That okay. is one of the. I remember things. you testing um, it? <laughs> yeah, I was testing it, and I I don't remember what I ran into, but that was a, a one or two versions of Ubuntu ago. So I gotta just uh, it's it's probably been fixed. So I'll take another look at it. Yeah, there's so once again, Linux kind of leans into when you do need user management that way there. Um, but as more and more things become OAuth. It, in more of your websites are what you're logging into. Um, even for many of the service accounts that we have for my business, um, 
it's how more things are going. So it's even less of an issue, so to speak, uh, from a user management standpoint, because usually it's just the local user on the system. Yeah, I think that this will change as the industry moves away from Active Directory, but it's going to be a very, very long moving away process. That's going to take, you know, a number of years to say the least. But, you know, as you were saying with these new technologies and everything um, and the industry moving naturally toward other things, it's just going to be a natural phase out over, I don't know, 10, 20 years. I I mean, they're in it for the long haul. Microsoft, uh, their solutions, they stick around for a while. You know, it's just the way it is. Um, quick news announcement. So last week we talked about Proxmox and I was most excited about the dark mode. So screenshots people share are going to look better, (laughs) but obviously Proxmox did more than dark mode, but this week is, uh, XCPNG this year has released uh, quite a few changes, including in a video that will be released later today on my channel, um, a VMware import tool that automates the VMware migration process. And yes, it's part of their open source package. And yes, it's available to home lab users who compile the um, Zen from source X Zen orchestra from sources. Uh, so that's kind of a big announcement because people have always gone, well, I want to get off VMware, but it, I have to clone these VMs and things like that. And I get it. That's if you have 30, 40 VMs, that's 30, 40 VMs. And you can do, and we've talked about clone Zilla and other tools to clone it from point A to point B, but that incurs downtime, maybe not as big of a deal in your home lab, but now you can connect and migrate. And I say migrate, but actually they're copies. You're not doing anything destructive VMware, but when the migration works, you can shut down your VMware, retire it, and use that hardware for better things. So that's uh, that's the kind of exciting on there for people that have been going, looking for an excuse to look at alternatives uh, like XCPNG. That VMware import tool is pretty cool. So. Yeah, I remember, uh, I don't know if it's still a thing, the VMware tool P2V for physical to virtual. Mm -hmm. So did they call this V2V? (laughs) They probably didn't want to get get them upset, did they? They call it V2V, but it has two meanings. This is what, so Vates is the company that supports this open source project. So they call Mm -hmm. it, you know, virtual to virtual or um, VMware to Vates. (laughs) Interesting. I kind of like that other name there, VMware to Vates. Okay, we'll go with that. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. Nonetheless, it's a uh, it's, it's cool. There's a lot of innovation going around around that side of the house. So uh, I figured I'd share share the knowledge here because I know at least a few of our users are probably using uh, that as a tool. Or uh, Jay has his entire video series on OpenStack release. So if you're also looking for that and looking, people want the de- we've done a we've done a talk on it here, uh, yeah. but it requires. How many videos in your series? Is it five or six? Well, six, but they're longer ones. I, I yeah. could have stretched it out longer, but um, each one is is a decent amount of time. So, so if you're yeah. looking for another thing to dive into, uh, Jay's got a great series on OpenStack because I know people have asked about that tutorial. And uh, Jay, I was like me and Jay are friends, so we talk behind the scenes. We know the effort that went into making that series. It was uh it was a stretch. <laughs> there, there were there were two nine hour uh, recording sessions toward the end that were especially fun. But you know that's just how it goes. You rehearse it over and over again, and then you know just like in in the real world when you're working and you have a deployment at work and you run through the test and then it just bombs. Um, sometimes that happens during a recording session and we have to figure things out. So, but you don't get you don't see that. We we spare you from that part of it. Right. Okay, let's dive into the topic of firewalls. And boy, this was a, I think there's like 300 comments on that video I released just a couple days ago, because uh, it's a it's a hot topic. It, next to, it's not quite the argument that people have about their favorite distro, 
but I would say it rivals it in terms of engagement of everyone has an opinion what their favorite firewall is. And I'm not immune from this. I have a firewall I like because I know it. That's one of the things that's going to be very important on here. Now, if you're just choosing, that can be very hard because you don't know any of them. You're like, I'm just getting started. But from the perspective of the things you know, I get the reason you want to stick with it. Just like I love staying in the Debian world for distros, uh, because I'm used to the apt get commands and it makes it easy for me to configure. I stay a lot with PF sense because I know it very well and there's not any shortcomings it has that I have this deep need for. And this also isn't really important because the firewall, you know, is the firewall you're going to configure better and you're less likely to leave yourself hanging out open in because you don't understand it. This is where I even in the enterprise space, people, you know, sometimes it gets handed down to them uh, through policy. Like this is what we're standardizing on. But if you have users improperly trained, you can also end up with users. I was, I'm saying users, but actually they're sysadmins. If they don't know this material very well with this particular new brand of firewall and they aren't properly trained, they can end up misconfiguring it, having rules that allow things that shouldn't happen, etc. So just a few considerations to take in there. Um, now I have an entire list from that other one, uh, this link down below, so you can look like the spreadsheet of this. And I'm going to change it up a little bit because there's probably a few features I talked about in there that are less interesting to the home lab people, um, but are definitely uh, more interesting that I add a couple other topics on here. One of them is going to be documentation. I didn't really uh, really want to dive into that because it kind of sent me off topic, but hands down, one of the reasons PF sense, and I'm not just saying this because I'm somebody who has a lot of videos on the topic, because I'm certainly not the only ones with videos on this topic. PF sense, one of my favorites because of documentation, there are so many write-ups, not just the good PF sense documentation, but if you Google how to do something in PF sense, there are tons of people who have blog posts and write-ups that dive into how to set something up. And you can run it on your own hardware. PFSense being pretty much well supported, especially with the latest releases uh, based on FreeBSD 14. So the Community Edition 2.7 is just around the corner for release as of April 2023 that it is today. You can get the PFSense Plus Edition. Um, that one is, you know, based on FreeBSD 14. So you've got better driver support than you had previously. But running on your own hardware combined with easy to follow documentation, not just my videos, but many other people who make videos and uh, details on it. There's so much easy. It's so much easier to get into it is basically what I would, uh, why it's such a popular firewall and it works. It works yep. really well. And that's one of the things that, you know, I'll disclose my bias towards it up front, but it's not the only firewall we're going to talk about. Now, one of the other features that makes PFSense popular, especially in the home user and home lab market, kind of a combination there, is it's uh, really well supported with privacy VPNs. I did not have this as a category, uh, but I'll be mentioning it as I talk to you about some of these firewalls to some of the challenges of setting up privacy VPNs, especially when you want very granular policy routing. And this is obviously popular for a lot of reasons, sometimes for privacy, hence the name privacy VPN. Uh, sometimes it's because you're dealing with restrictions of content and weird rules that are beyond your control, but there's a VPN service that kind of puts you back in control so you can pop out of another place and uh, have that IP address. So this is one of the things that um, is, I think, you know, easy to do in PF sense and pretty good. So that's uh, that's the first one I'll mention in terms of firewall. But I'm bullish on PF Sense, and as I said, I'm a little biased because I do like it. Um, Open Sense. I'm going to give it an honorable mention here. I don't have any problem with Open Sense. 
there's they're developed they forked a long time ago they the uh differences are still there but they're both based on bsd they're both based on the pf filter system i don't have any reason to tell you not to use OpenSense. i tested it i didn't see any major issues with it some of the home lab people particularly like OpenSense because of the frequent updates it always has package updates now package updates are not always because of security they're because of features sometimes or just enhancements they may do and this has been a complaint with pfsense from a business standpoint from managing pfsense i'm happy when my firewall doesn't have a ton of updates that could potentially cause problems pfsense is on top of security updates so just because the pfsense community edition has not had an update recently does not mean it's insecure this is where i get people's conflated arguments on this all the time going if it hasn't had an update therefore it must be insecure and that's actually not true the team over at netgate that develops pfsense are very careful what they compile matter of fact when there were certain um bugs found i think i think it was in one of the dns systems a while back their answer was really simple we don't compile that feature in because it's not used in pfsense the ping feature that was a problem in bsd once again not act not something they even were worried about so could you use ping to possibly have that ping uh, vulnerability? There's a way you could turn it on, but it was it's not even used in their uh, what they call D-pinger system. So they're very careful how they implement things, and that means a lot to me. I can't say as much for the uh, OpenSense. They're always pushing packages. I just don't know. I don't know their platform, but I'll, I'll give them a mention. Like, if you want to use it, I'm not telling you not to. I just know they have more frequent updates, and they have a few other packages that are different than what PFSense has. Now, one more thing on that list, and I think this is supported by both OpenSense and PFSense, is going to be TailScale. I think there's a, uh, I've seen some write-ups. I don't know if it's native in there, but TailScale is really popular with home users that are looking for easy VPN. Uh, PFSense, so the firewalls we're going to talk about, is the only one on the list that I know has like official package support for it. I've done videos on TailScale. It's a great way to get back into your network, which is sometimes an important thing, especially if you're stuck behind CGNAT. TailScale will punch through that without having to open up anything on your firewall. So that's definitely a, a good feature that's in there. All right. Moving on to one of the other options, and I'll I'll jump right to it as I see people have asked about it, is the Sophos one. Now, Christian Lempa, uh, I believe he actually works for Sophos now. He changed his Facebook. Oh, wow. he, yeah, he changed his profile. He must have got a new job of working there. So I now know why he's so uh, – and he's liked it before he worked there, if I'm not mistaken, because he's done videos on it over a year or two ago. I'm going to defer to him as far as any video creation on it, but the Sophos firewalls are something that's popular. They have a registration you do, and you can get a license for free. There are some limitations on it. That's, um, you know, in my sheet, I link right to their home registration page, but their home user free edition has a ton of features. Sophos has got a lot of things you can do with it. Now, Sophos kind of has a reverse proxy because they do have like a web application firewall in there. Um, they do have, and I said this in my video a little because I was confused because Christian Lump actually had said no, but the answer is yes to they do support some of the Let's Encrypt certificates on there. Uh, but Sophos is a pretty full featured firewall. Now, I lack experience using it to tell you how good or bad it is in practice because this is one of those things where you can run into a challenge when you're trying to describe a product. The features that make marketing happy, like marketing people said it does this, this, and this, and then you get into some of the nuances, and I'll not related as much to the home lab world, but I had 48 on there. Um, one of the problems is 48. I said no originally to their reverse proxy. 
Then someone pointed out it was a yes. Then a friend of mine DM'd me who's a 48 person who like they're a reseller and have hundreds of these things. He says, we absolutely don't use it because it's the reverse uh, proxies, hot garbage. <laughs> like it's all command line driven and you have to copy and paste certificates in. So how do you consider that usable? And I'm like, that doesn't sound very easy. He goes, it's not manageable. He says, it, it does it work? Yes. So you could check the boxes. Yes, but it's not used. Coming back to Sophos, I can't really speak in depth. Um, someone did leave an interesting comment about like Sophos supports BGP, but how they support it they couldn't do more advanced BGP routing across multi-WAN on it. So there's some problem with the way it announces BGP routes, according to some of the comments that were debated, as I said, in my firewall video. So once again, Sophos, I don't see any reason not to use it. You do register with them uh, to get the free edition. And it, you know, it's a, it seems pretty popular amongst people. So I threw it on my list. It's a uh, majority. I would say like it. <laughs> That's where I would probably leave that. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. They, they seem to have a, you know, at least uh, they are supporting the home user market. Now, another one that's on that same uh, list of supporting the home user market, and they do have a free edition, so they have a non-home user, but they actually have a relatively cheap home user edition. I think it's called Home User Pro. It's like $100 or $150 a year, and that's Untangle, which was bought by Arista, so they call it Arista Edge now, but it's still the Untangle interface interface they rebranded it all but it still seems to be you know, we still sell these i can't really tell any major differences um even the pricing hasn't really gone up or changed since arista bought them this firewall is a little weird what terms to ui we we have a handful of these deployed and manage the big thing that home users are going to like and this is going to go towards sophos and arista but something pf sense is utterly lacking is going to be good web filtering now I'm not big on web filtering at the firewall. I'm usually focused on the endpoint, but for home users going, hey, I want to block my kids from going to XYZ site. You're going to get a better um, filtering experience out of the Arista Untangle system or the Sofo system than you will out of PFSense. The problem is PFSense is terrible at SSL inspection. Yes, it has it. This is a box that's checked by PFSense but it's not something that's good. It's it managing things through squid is a headache. Um, I, I don't recommend it. So that's one of those check that marketing box that we have this ability to do it. But have you ever done squid management, uh, Jay? Nope. I haven't uh, looked into that. So yeah, not very familiar. Don't, don't waste your time with it. Basically it is, you have to, you have to create some certificates and you have to install those certificates. It's rather, it's somewhat of a manual process inside of um, PF sense to get those certificates and put them in each mm -hmm. system. So the SSL inspection can happen and get things unwrapped. They've made it a little bit easier on untangle um, Arista, but the Arista untangle system also can just do DPI. Now DPI means we're just going to identify some of the uh, layer seven traffic and apply some rules to it. They've done a nice job with that, making it relatively easy in the Arista system. So I, I would say if you're looking, if web filtering is your top thing you're looking for, um, that's, <laughs> I'd throw I'd throw a wrist on that list there if that's something you really like. Now, as far as the way the rules go, take a closer look at that web interface. It's weird compared to PFSense. They try to make like an if-then statement out of the rules, uh, the way you chain them together. It's a little bit of a learning curve. Or if you're just starting out firewalls, maybe it's not a learning curve because any of them are a learning curve. So I will say the uh, weird interface, but also nice reporting. Uh, so that's, that's not bad. Now, PF Blocker, um, being inside of PFSense, because I figured 
someone would bring it up and they have. Um, it's nice because you can use pie hole level, uh, pie hole filters in there. Now, that's not granular. That's not like I'm going to block this site for this user only, but it does give you some ability to sinkhole ads and things like that, much like you would in pie hole. And of course, any of these firewalls we talk about, pie hole is a separate project popular in a home lab. Yes, you can set this up. So oh, yep. that's pretty good. Um, oh, I'll bring this up real quick. because I, I forgot to put this on my list. Firewalla. I see that as a consumer product. It's a, it was a Kickstarter campaign that seemed to do well. They have some filtering tools. Stacy on IoT, if you type in as a search, Stacy on IoT, Firewalla, or if you look at my Firewall video, I linked to her notes. Um, she's done a couple reviews of it. It's very much a consumer product that you set up with a phone. My understanding from anyone I've talked to who's used these, and I just don't really have the time to dig into them, they're very consumer friendly, but they're very limited in features. So I think home lab people would just outgrow these really quick. They're They're usable. They're not... Once again, it's not something I'm saying, do not use this, um, but their limitations and features are just kind of that. But the, to the upside and something that Stacey on IoT and her write-ups reported, like, hey, it's kind of cool to be able to manage a firewall from your phone so you can just slide a slider and block the kids from something. I mean, very home user friendly, not advanced routing or advanced learning friendly. And maybe that's not your use case. So once again, not a... Uh, not something I'm going to tell you not to use, but just think about the limitations because it's kind of a, a consumer facing device. Also, the weird weird to me that it all works to a phone app. It doesn't have a web interface on it. When I say phone app, I'm not saying that's an add on. The first step on setting up your firewall firewall is loading app on your phone to get it set up. So that's oh just, boy. Yeah. Which is awesome for consumers. Um, probably less um uh, if you know for home lab people going, huh? You know, it's a little strange. <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, uh, I just did see people asking about HA proxy. HA proxy is inside of PFSense. I've done videos on it. Um, uh, there's debates of where you should run your reverse proxy. There's a lot of convenience having it right inside of PFSense. Uh, but you know, using what uh, what do you use for reverse proxy, Jay? So I have an LXC or Lexi. I keep saying it wrong. Container. So it's just nginx on a container that I just have forward internally as needed. Yeah. So, so pretty there's manual. Other there's other tools. There's also caddy. There's, um, there's a lot of different reverse proxies and there's always a debate about who's, which one's the best one. Um, I like because my DNS and my HA proxy and my let's encrypt search are all controlled within my PF sense. So I have it all centrally managed, but that can be people like to run it in a separate VM, but I like the fact that HA proxy is on there. I see up oh, traffic. That's the other one. I forgot. A lot of people love, uh, uh, traffic as well. Uh, it's got a cool logo. <laughs> So yep. now a couple of things I'll mention though, the uh, Arista one, their open VPN is nice, but they actually build in the privacy VPN in a neat way. Uh, instead of having to go through the a little bit more complicated setup I have with privacy VPNs, they have um, PIA. I think they have a couple of them. PIA I know is in there because I've tested it. You can just put your username and password to one of those privacy VPNs and it sets it up. You don't have to actually do the whole configuration. They put it in as part of the back end. So hmm. if you go, hey, I have PA and it lets you pull down and choose the location. That's pretty slick. I it's really easy to do. Uh, they're import export tools for things like that. They they also for WireGuard have the QR code to tie your phone to it for WireGuard. Thought that was kind of cool too, because um, both PFSense and Arista have WireGuard. Sophos does not support WireGuard, not that I know of. I did not see it on their list. I don't know where that is in terms of um, 
you know, if it's on there, I don't think they have WireGuard. Let me double check my list. Yeah, your list doesn't show it. Um, yeah, I think WireGuard was a no on. Yeah, it's a no. Yeah, it's a no for Sophos. I don't know where it is on a roadmap. I didn't. I couldn't find anything on there. Uh, so if you're really looking for WireGuard, come back over to PFSense, and I'll throw out there. As far as I know, OpenSense supports WireGuard um, the same. So WireGuard is on both of those. Now, this is where things get complicated. We're going to talk about Unify. Yeah. First problem with the Unify. First, Homelab people almost always, if you're doing anything intricate with firewalls, you feel as though you're going to outgrow the Unify firewalls. But they're getting better to try to keep people on their platform. And yeah. this is where things get complicated. Uh, Cody from Actelcom Networks, he's a friend of mine. He does a lot of videos. Oh, the problem with it is the big challenge with the Unify ones. And like Cody says, you just got to read release notes to try and figure out what features are or are not supported with each release on each model, because you can't just read the release notes. You have to go down to the bottom where little asterisks are. If you have a UDM pro SE, this is supported, but if you don't have the special edition, it's going to be supported in the future. And this Hmm. is what gets confusing. I don't know why Unify does not have a good chart anywhere that I can find to compare their Unify Dream Machine, Dream Machine Pro, Dream Machine Pro SE, Dream Wall, and their USG or USXG models and break it down. So this was harder to research. And even when I put it together in a spreadsheet, which, you know, I wish Unify would do. I had to put some asterisks because it depends what version you're on of the software. Now they finally, I made a video poking fun at them. I called it the weird way Unify does VPNs. This is where they've gotten better and they're trying to invalidate my video, which is ultimately what I'd love them to do. (laughs) They have like when they said they had WireGuard, they weren't wrong, but they said they had open VPN and they weren't wrong. But, and what those buts are is you wouldn't be able to set this up inside the firewall normally like you think oh i'm going to go to the firewall and use the interface of the software to manage it no they wanted you to go to their website called uid register with their cloud account then the cloud account would then talk to the unify system to generate the config file and pull it down from the cloud account no other well i can't say no other all the other VPNs I mentioned, you're doing this inside the VPN setup inside the firewall. That makes complete sense to me. I'm configuring OpenVPN or I'm configuring WireGuard. It's going to create all the things I need, and I'm going to pull a config file so I can set it up other devices. Unify went about it in a weird way because they were trying to get you hooked on their UID service, which is just weird to me. Um, I don't. It made things complicated and the way they had implemented it means it was not easy for you to set up or follow a tutorial or just connect your external devices to. Now they're coming around the other side and going, oh, look, we we have OpenVPN in a different way. Awesome. They still haven't figured out policy routing very well on this. Their policy routing is uh, very basic. For example, they added WireGuard in one of the latest releases, but they still don't have an ability to do a site-to-site with policy routing on WireGuard. Well, where someone may split hairs and leave comments going, but Tom, I can go to the command line and modify all the files because it's just Linux under the hood, which of course means the web interface, uh, if you change things, will probably overwrite your uh, config. And one of the reasons we don't offer supporting rewriting the config files from the command line (laughs) because they'll get overwritten if you use the web interface. It's kind of a messy way to do it, but they're getting better. They are not a terrible firewall from a functionality standpoint they do have some dpi um so you can do some restrictions on them and i really like the unify um, ecosystem in terms of having everything under one roof because 
I'm huge on their switches and their access points. And hey, why not just get one of their firewalls so we have a whole workflow? Except when I need VPN support and things like that, it starts falling flat, but they're yeah. getting better. But better is a subjective thing. Their documentation is still lacking to figure out which features are supported on which models. So that can make it also uh, a higher bar to entry because you're like, I heard they support this, but which model supports it? Find on their website, not easy. Uh, make sure you understand your needs and understand the support for the different models they have prior to purchase and make sure it's a version of software that's out, not an upcoming feature because they've been promising since last year to fix the WireGuard problem on the standard UDM Pro. It's finally in beta right now and we're in April. So, <laughs> well, <clears throat> yeah, so they're getting there, but they don't offer projections or timelines. So that's one of those... Uh, Really big challenges with them without the projection and timelines. It's just, it's hard to say when they're going to get it. So that's probably good advice for any software you're buying. Buy it on the features you know it has, not the future, not the features they promise in the future. <laughs> yeah, just like we've been burned out on native Linux game support on several games many times. I think we've been burned on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing, basically. Yep. Now... One more mention, because this was not on my list, but what do I think of it? And that's going to be MikroTik. MikroTik is kind of niched into a few spots. We do consulting, not on MikroTik, but we do consulting with like different setups um, for enterprise companies. And we'll see it in like the WISP market. That seems to be one place we see a lot of MikroTik. And you'll usually find some MikroTik engineer who's really good at it. The problem with MikroTik, and this is why so many people ask me to do videos on it, is because... They're like, the documentation is bad, Tom. We need someone to make good videos on it. And this is where it gets to be a challenge because without good documentation, how does Tom make videos on it? Plus, I just don't use it that often. Yeah. So I'm not taking the time to learn the intricacies of it. You know, and there's been tons of forum debates on there because even it, the way I'd seen, and it kind of made me chuckle when someone had this quote, there was a couple of debates went on in my forums about this, of MikroTik's that device that always has some secret incantation that you'll copy and paste out of their forums that we don't know what any of these commands do, but we know if we paste them in, our MikroTik will start doing the thing I wanted it to do. <laughs> and, and, and then we just hmm. back up the config and are happy it works. I think their price point is what really drives people towards them. They pack a ton of features in there, but they're very that steep learning curve. Now, Switch OS, on the other hand, this is what's kind of cool about some of the MikroTik because they have firewalls, then they have switches. Um, if you switch over to Switch OS, and I've talked about this before, I have videos on this topic, Switch OS is a lot easier to manage than the router OS they have. It's called router OS. Um, and for switching and just setting up VLANs, I think MikroTik's not bad. Now, they're not as scalable for management unless you start building command line tools uh, to do it. And you can, there's ways to do that. It's not anywhere near as friendly on uh, com by comparison to the way Unify does it. So MikroTik, it, it's kind of runner up if you want to learn it, but it's, uh, you, you've got a lot of learning curve on your hand and you may or may not run into it a lot in the enterprise world. We just don't see them all that often. Uh, but we, the markets like Wisp where there's um, very limited budget, we will see a lot of them there because uh, Wisp is one of those things like providing wireless internet services is not the most profitable thing. So that, type of equipment kind of lends itself over there. Now, someone might ask about TrendNet. I'm not a big fan of them. I don't trust them in terms of security. They exist. They're out there. Uh, some people like them. They're definitely cheap enough for the home lab. They're basically Unify at about a 
last I looked, I think they're maybe 20% less in price. Depend that that's going to vary, of course, where you're at in location. Um, do I trust them on security? Not so much. Easy example is going to be Log4j. They were slow to update it compared to Unify mm-hmm. being extremely on top of it. I feel like they just copied Unify just to get into the market, but I don't feel that they're innovating in any way. Um, so I'll throw it out there. They also aren't great. Last I checked, their documentation was not good and their um, kind of roadmap was a little fuzzy. Like how long is, is a product supported? What's the life cycle? A little fuzzy, but hey, for 25% savings, if you're just going to use it for Wi-Fi, that eh, may, may not be bad. So, I think their life cycle is however long they feel like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, well, until people quit buying it. Yeah, until people yeah. quit buying it. Well, that's kind of um, that on there. Now, the last one I'll bring up, and there's a lot more we could probably mention, but we'll we'll throw Vios in there. Um, Vios is neat, but, and maybe we'll throw Tensor, the other one from NetGate on there, because they, they offer a home lab license for free. As far as I know, you can still get that for free for the home lab. These are more targeted for the enterprise. It's not that they're not popular. I don't see them as popular for the home lab world. Now, they're command line driven firewalls, which, hey, that's awesome to take the time to learn that. That's what you want to learn. I just want to make sure people understand that with that great flexibility they have that comes with it, you also have that other uh, steeper learning curve, but it's, it's a good environment to start learning because once you've learned one of them, you just kind of, kind of learn the nuances to learn some of the other command line driven type of firewalls. And, you know, it's a good learning opportunity. Uh, So there's a lot you can learn from deep networking and understanding it. But if you're used to setting up rules on a UI, come back to something I said at the very beginning of this talk here, you could possibly leave yourself insecure because you're not familiar with setting it up and you're taking the device that divides you from the internet. And are you doing an allow all rule? You weren't aware of it because of the learning curve. That's a concern. So make sure you take the time to sit down and learn some of that before then. I don't, I, the virus project has been around for years. It's actually the basis, um, but they've changed it a bit for the edge series from ubiquity. We don't really, Um, see much of the edge series once again wisp and wireless provider market for the edge series but you know there's nothing real wrong with um any of those if you take the time to learn it and want to dive into it it is definitely you know i would say bios is more well used in that higher level enterprise space um there's definitely some love for it but once again you're probably not going to get a video out of me on it i don't use it day to day it isn't it's it's all those it's so niche um the people who want to take the time to learn it are going to more likely read it than watch some uh buddy on youtube make a video on it so yeah mm-hmm. and i've seen someone comment bios has been prepping a gui for i think they announced it over a year maybe two years ago it's, it's been a long time coming i don't know when they're going to write uh, a good ui for it it I don't know. I, I can't really predict their roadmap for it. Um, it's one of those things too, because of the market they focus on, I would probably say it, it's the same thing. Like when Cisco, the high end Cisco people, they do not like UIs for Cisco. One, Cisco's terrible at making UIs, but the second, yeah. the Cisco, yeah. the, the people who admin these day to day go and uh, spend 30 minutes in a UI or two minutes typing a command, which one do I want to choose? And people who really get into automation using all the different tools to automate, this is where command line is awesome for doing that. And probably why it's, it doesn't have the drive, like from them as a company, they're going, this brings us more into the home lab market, but it's not going to be, it's not the number one requested feature probably in the enterprise market that Vios is in. So that's kind of, 
it, it all depends on where you want to learn things uh, and where you want to dive into things. And, you know, it's it, nothing wrong with it as a tool. It's just making sure people understand that concept. Cause not, I, I've had people where they ask me for a video and I'm like, hey, do you know what's command line driven? You're like, it is. I was just, I thought I needed a video cause I couldn't find the UI. Like I've had some interaction. Oh, like, wow. no. Yeah. I'm like, you're, you're saying it because you know, there's probably enterprise companies hiring for it. So you want to get into it, but you're not realizing it just has a steeper learning curve. And I encourage people to learn whenever they want. It comes down to what you want to dive into. And hopefully this helps give you some, uh, things to discuss or things to think about when you're choosing some of the firewalls, but you know, go with ultimately what you make, what makes you happy, what you think works for you, what you find easy to control. It's also kind of fun. Just like you distro hop. I have firewall hopped. I have put, <laughs> I have put untangle because um, you can run the untangle slash arrest on your own hardware. I've loaded that. I've never had the, the desire really to play with Sophos XG. I know some people that like it quite a bit. Um, so, Hey, that's uh you know, worth, worth testing out. Christian has got some videos on it. It's got a nice interface to it. So functionality wise, it, it doesn't, it doesn't drive me and go, man, that fills this gap I have with PF sense because PF sense is, oh, I'm obviously familiar with it. Not just because I create videos, but we manage it as a company. We do consulting on it. We have businesses we manage with it. So I'm very intimately familiar with exactly in a very predictable way how it works. We're also good at securing it. And I've got videos telling you how to secure it. Me and Jay had this discussion yesterday about firewall rules and stuff like that. So oh, somebody, yeah, that was a fun day. Sometimes you can have a brain fart and have uh, firewall rules work differently than you think. And uh, in, in but, my case, it was why does this work? I didn't want it to work, right? Why do you work? You shouldn't work. Yeah, fun times. We all have those moments. Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of them. Jay's helped me with lots of Linux things and stuff like that for sure. <laughs> yep. Uh, let's see. See if there's any questions here. Um, you know, I've never used it. There is a tool. Now they have unofficial, they have support inside of OpenSense and unofficial support that you can load it on PFSense. It's called Zen Armor. I've not used it. Once again, I don't really focus on the content filtering on the firewall side. If you do focus on that, those are a couple options for OpenSense and PFSense. Content filtering, as I said, was with Arista Untangle is there as a feature built in. It's there in the Sofo system, but the um, I've just not really used it. From a business standpoint, the way we manage content filtering is on the endpoints themselves because our uh, clients aren't always behind a firewall because of remote work. So we have our, we have a slightly different path we go for managing it. But if, if your checkbox has that right at the top going, I have to have content filtering for my kids, then you might want to look uh, at maybe Zen armor. If you, if you plan to go with PF sensor uh, open sense. And I see people here saying Vios is actually pretty easy to learn. It's great. If you want to practice CLI and that's ultimately what that comes down to. Um, what are all the disciplines you want to learn? <laughs> That's right. You, are you going to be a programmer? Are you cool? Is your focus on firewalls at all or, or your job career path have an interest in that? Um, those are the things you just kind of decide for yourself because although there's um, an infinite number, it feels like of open source and fun project to play with, there's a finite number of hours in the day to actually play with them. <laughs> yeah, that is very, very true. That's why I, I would love to run all of these, but, you know, it takes time to redo your entire network just to try a different firewall. Yeah. And, and you know, Jay's uh, cranking out an amazing number of Linux videos. Uh, it would be a, a bump in the road to swap firewalls and redo an entire oh network just gosh. to 
yeah, just, just to see if way. something works differently. Yep. <laughs> it, it's it can be challenging. Uh, let's see. I think let's see. I recently upgraded my home internet to 1.5 gig, having a hard time finding a router firewall with two and a half gig ports. Came across firewall. Um, is there any other system that supports that? Well, yes. Um, I've talked about before, and I have a recent video on PF Sense and certain hardware uh, you can buy. So I, for business purposes, I prefer the NetGate hardware, but I get it. That's going to be expensive. And if your message is coming from Europe, that's real expensive. Uh, or Australia, turns out it's even triple expensive. So there are some of those boxes out there. Serve the Home has reviewed them. I've mentioned them in one of my recent videos. Uh, they have two and a half gig ports. They do support PF Sense and OpenSense natively out of the box. Um, so that gives you that two and a half gig. So if you have a one and a half gig internet coming in, Awesome. You should be able to uh, use one of those boxes. There's even a box out there that Patrick from Serve the Home did um, a few months, maybe two months ago now, that has 10 gig ports on it. So, you know, that's an option uh, as well. And if you're really feeling um, interested in this, so I had mentioned this to the guys who run another, I think it's called Two Guys Tech. Uh, they did PF Sense on a Zima board, but they did it with a 10 gig card. I actually had messaged them and said, you know, you can do that with a 10 gig card because the Zima uh, small computer has two network ports. Unfortunately, they're real tech. But the good news is you can, that has a PCIe slot, so they put, but they put a 10 gig PCIe. Now it's a Celeron, so it won't route it full 10 gig, but I think it will route it like three gigs. And if you have a one and a half gig internet, you're on your way. <laughs> so that's actually a really inexpensive option to put together. You could build this, um, Frankenstein of a system with an external card in it. Uh, they had a, a, a design. You can 3D print a holder for the card and make it all work. Look up the Zima boards. They're actually pretty neat. Uh, I thought about buying one just to have one. Uh, these are x86 based, so you can load a lot of different things on them. But mm. definitely a um, uh, something something else to play with. Because uh, we all know Raspberry Pis are well-loved. They're, they're loved to the point of extinction i feel like or extortion hard to, find. to the point yeah. of extortion for what people want to charge for them right now <laughs> yeah wow it's it's uh it's hard but hopefully that gets rectified soon because there's a lot of people that would like to have one yep yep so fun stuff i see some people say sni or a mandatory proxy yeah um if if all if all now is SSL'd, how do we inspect traffic with man in the middle? And that's the challenge. If you want to do man in the middle inspection, you need a system that can install a certificate on those systems. So you can't inspect traffic on something you can't install a certificate on. This is important because maintaining those certificates is a big part of the process. It's a headache part of the process, by the way, too. Um, and it, it has its own risk because some things don't like, and this is where you have to put bypasses in. Some things don't like when there's other things in their certificate chain. And if you're doing proper TLS um, 1.3, TLS has an outer and inner encryption. There's a secondary internal key. So you have your outer encryption layer, like, you know, let's encrypt or whatever you're using for the external one. There's another key, an ephemeral key negotiated in TLS 1.3. This is a problem. And 
it's challenging to properly inspect TLS 1.3 without breaking it. Um, that goes out of scope of uh, today's time, <laughs> but uh, just that's something to consider is a, the solution a lot of the firewalls have is they downgrade you to, to that. Well, they just remove that feature of TLS 1.3, the second encryption, because it, it's designed not to have there. Um, there's actually a write-up, I think, by Zscaler on how to do inspection on TLS 1.3. They have a good description of it so you can understand the complexity of it because there is a way to do it where the um, proxy will do the unwrapping and then renegotiate another key. So it man in the middles in a very different way, but that also requires extra horsepower to do it. So there's, there's some nuance to doing that. So, <laughs> yep. All right. Any more comments you have on this, Jay? Um, basically, no. I, I think you covered it very well. This is your, uh, you know, wheelhouse. You got this topic very well covered, and um, you know, I'm learning a little bit too. It's really making me wish I had that lab set up so I could just randomly set up, uh, you know, firewalls and just have all sorts of fun. So it's a little bit of incentive for me. So, yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. This um when it comes to the firewall topics, I I seen someone say Jay's not saying much, but this it's yeah. it's the same thing when uh when Jay was doing one of his Ansible ones. I'm I'm still the uh, lightweight when it comes to that. Jay is certainly the expert. So we take turns being the student so a, a lot of times. So yep, yeah, we take we take turns doing that. Uh no one knows everything. We just right. make it look good on YouTube because we do a lot of editing. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we, we take the swear words right out of there. So you don't oh, yeah, yeah. we mess up and you know say some things. <laughs> yep, for sure. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining. Love hearing from you. Feedback at the Home Lab show. Uh, we'll take your questions and uh, all that fun stuff. And, you know, send a bunch of them in. We like doing these Q&A episodes and helping you along the way of the journey. But hey, get out there, have some fun and uh, let us know in the comments what firewall is your favorite. That's always a good discussion. Mm -hmm. Thanks.